This meeting is being recorded. And that familiar double sound of this meeting is being recorded tells you that you are watching or listening to another edition of Forward Maryland. From an undisclosed autumnal location, I'm Bill Woodcock. And I'm Steve Hunt. And uh, as the bus boys once said in 48 Hours, the boys are back in town. <laughs> yeah, it's been a little while, and uh, there, there's been some things going on. I mean, I know you've you've had some some uh, yeah. some uh, some uh, drama and trauma uh, in in your world to deal with. How's everything working out? Everything is working out fine, and everything's doing okay. First of all, Bill, thank you for holding it down for not one but two shows, and. Uh, I love the shows, by the way, if anybody hasn't listened to them, uh, they actually tie well into each other with the, uh, you know, situation in uh, Cecil County with the write-in candidate, but then also uh, the next week with Lynn Fox, we're talking about ranked choice voting. I think they kind of, they kind of mesh together well, so uh, nice topics to put back to back. So really appreciate that, Bill, but no, things are well. Um, you know, week one, I believe, was a baseball tournament. Um, I can't remember what week one was. Week two was my son, who plays uh, junior varsity football and is playing football tackle version for the first time in his life, broke his leg. Uh, his lower leg broke both bones, actually, so he got his money's worth. Um, total freak incident situation where he was down and a guy falls down, his helmet slams down on his leg. Um, it, just something I don't, I don't think I've seen. Um, playing or watching football, but uh, uh, doing much better. Major shout out to the folks at Johns Hopkins up in Baltimore. Um, the surgeon, uh, we call her Dr. H. She calls herself Dr. H because her last name, most people butcher, but uh, Dr. H, you're probably not listening, but if anybody ever gets to her, you were awesome. Uh, she did the surgery, um, took three hours, uh, did the whole titanium rod. So he will now set off every metal detector for the rest of his life. And, uh, but in three to five months, um, if all goes well, he will be on a baseball diamond, uh, playing for the high school team. So, uh, no, it's going good. So you're right. It was drama. And obviously for the leg, it was trauma, but, uh, doing, he's doing well. He's actually walking, you know, in the pre-show, I was telling you, Bill, when I broke my leg as a kid, I was in a cast for 12 weeks and I wasn't walking. Uh, yeah. Maybe the last couple and a half cast, uh, uh, I could take a few, but you know he's walking like he sprained his ankle or something, not you know broken leg, major surgery. So he's good. So thank you, Bill. Uh, well, that's how's awesome. How's your world? Uh, yeah, I, I don't like to share. You know, sometimes when people, you know, I shared that there were some things. You know, yep. people of course jump to conclusions. Uh, but uh, but thank you for sharing all of that, Steve. And my God, certainly. Happy to hear that Jason is is doing much better, and that's a that's awesome prognosis in terms of recovery. And um, yeah, I I uh, yeah I can remember uh, injuries taking much longer to heal up too back in our day. But uh, yeah. you know, technology is is much better. Medicine is much better, and and it's it's kind of scary to think of you know walking around you know just a few weeks after a broken leg i i can never think of doing that um yeah by the way aside political note the worst part of the entire experience was the ambulance ride and the worst part of that was as soon as we got off of i95 you 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 know hopkins and the way to hopkins from howard county once we got off i95 the roads man the bumps with a guy with a broken leg, we need to get Brandon Scott on here to talk about Baltimore streets, man. Cause I, I didn't think my kid was going to make it, man. <laughs> Brandon Scott's got a lot of things to worry about. And I mean, in all fairness, those streets are maybe important to us, but Holy smoky. All, all of the things he's got, he's got to worry about, but it doesn't seem to keep him away from a camera though. He is surely on choice of fill-in, choice of local news station here. Uh, anyway, oh, we could we could talk for a long time about Baltimore City, but um, <laughs> while while I'm going through, I I, I I feel like I have cottage cheese stuffed in my nose today. Steve, have you ever had cottage cheese in your nose? 
I, I've never had that. Um, I don't even want to conjure up a mental image of yeah, that. I, I, I'm um, pretty sure I do. I'm pretty sure I do have some cottage cheese in my nose. I don't like cottage cheese, but it's making me sound a little bit nasal and mm. uh, and, and just like a little bit like this. And, and I'm not <laughs> liking it, but maybe we'll get through it as the podcast goes on. So, Steve, there's a lot of things happening, and, and, and it, it, you've come back at a very opportune time because it is prime time, crunch time, uh, near time for the 2022 elections. I know I cast my vote, my vote, my vote, yeah, my vote in my handy-dandy Howard County drop box uh, last weekend. I don't know where you are in the world of actually voting, um, but, you know— Maryland elections are more or less fait accompli. Uh, we'll, we'll preview and give our predictions, but uh, I don't think in, in, a, in a later podcast, but I don't think there's going to be any shocks or, or surprises, at least amongst the statewide uh, elections. But there are some very interesting elections close to us and at least also elsewhere on the East Coast. And so the first place, I, I want to talk about is is the great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, uh, which I have been I have been um, spent um, last weekend um, um, over in Delaware and uh, spending some time in New Jersey and Pennsylvania and Delaware uh, later on today, and uh, I, I you know just my friends here and just my experiences and and watching the television uh, this Senate race between uh, Dr. Rods and John Fetterman is off the hook. As you have said, we need, we need something like that in Maryland. Um, you know, Fetterman keeps trolling Oz about not living in, in the state, uh, not having Pennsylvanians values. Much more recently, he's been talking, you know, he's been getting to back to more grassroots um, commercials and ads um, you know, talking about abortion, voting rights, um, you know, more uh, jobs, more core democratic issues where um, Oz is labeling Fetterman as a crazy Bernie Sanders following uh, whack job who also happens to be an elitist. Of course, the man's got a big old, you know, I don't even know what you call it. I guess it's a goatee, but a goatee without the mustache is called something else. But he's got one of these big things. The dude's six eight, and he wears car hearts all the time. Not sure how he follows as an elitist, but whatever Oz is doing is seeming to be working because the 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 race is tightening up. I mean, this weekend, this last week, the polls are still showing a Fetterman lead, but within the margin for error. Steve, I know you've been looking at this for some time. What, what are, you know, um, you know, your your observations on on a Senate seat that could very likely flip from Republican to Democrat? Yeah, Bill, it's 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 an interesting race in that, uh, to your point, Fetterman was cruising. Um, you know, uh, the abortion issue after the Dobbs decision came out, and and obviously that got a lot of Dems energized. Um, you know, he is an interesting character, and you really have two candidates that are, I'll say flawed. I hate to use that word in talking about Fetterman because he has a legitimate health issue, uh, but I, I just wonder if he had not had that stroke and he was out on the campaign trail full force as he was in the spring, what this race might have looked like because Oz and his friends, uh, because there's a whole lot of dark money being poured into the state of Pennsylvania on the airways with just commercial after commercial about crime and immigration and and uh, not even really the economy. It's a lot of, uh, you know, I call it fear mongering. And that's really tight. I mean, the race, I think, was going to tighten up a little bit because Pennsylvania is truly a swing state. I don't think Fetterman was ever going to win by 10 um, because, you know, Oz, for all the flaws and the fact that I don't think he's qualified to be a United States senator, um, he's not a Mastriano. He's not radioactive politically like a Mastriano or here in Maryland, a, a Dan Cox. So it was going to tighten up. Um, but I think it's been accelerated by, you know, the money that's been poured in, Oz's running, you know, just finding an issue and just running with it. And the fact that Fetterman's response has not been 
as strong as I think it could have been if his health were up to it. I think that debate is going to be huge that's coming up. I think that if Fetterman can stand tall, pardon the pun, because you're right, the guy's six eight. Um, but uh, if he stands tall in the debate, I think Fetterman can close the deal. I think that's the big thing. People want to see him on stage in a debate and see if health-wise he can take it. I think Biden had the same issue in 2020. Could you stand in there for an hour and a half or whatever it was? I think that's going to be key. If, if Fetterman has a not bad night, I think he's going to win. I think everything points to Fetterman because Oz is Oz. Um, it's going to be close, but uh, that's that's what I'm looking at, Bill. I I think it's if, if the if the debate goes well or quite frankly not horrible for Fetterman, I think that salts it away. I think that's the big question mark on John Fetterman right now. Um, and it's also nationalized. One of the few places Joe Biden can actually go um, because it's next door to his home state of Delaware, and he is from Scranton. Um, I don't know if you saw it the other day that Biden was in PA, and Fetterman actually wore a suit. <laughs> this just Well, <did>. Biden <laughs> was in PA, but even when Biden was in Hagerstown the other week, I mean, there's relevance there to Pennsylvania because that is yeah. certainly close enough, and people yeah. do commute between states. Hey, I'm less cottage cheesy now. Look at this. But uh, and I think he's going at least one more time back to back to Pennsylvania. But, you know, the other observation I'll make, um, and this gets to a latter topic after, you know, um, later, later on in today's show is the Trump coattails, because, Oz, you know, Trump likes Oz and, you know, the Trump candidates do excellent in the primaries. But so far, and thank God. We don't have very many of these acolytes of Trump's uh, winning statewide office. So one would have to wonder if on Election Day, a lot of Pennsylvanians don't show up who just go, no, nah, man, and just yeah. don't, you know, don't vote for Oz and vote for Fetterman. Or whether there's finally a breakthrough and you see some of this, you know, silent four or five percent of the you know, Republicans who, who, you know, wind up voting for Trump, who don't show up in like the national polls or even state polls. Mm -hmm. And if these things, and if the, if, if this won't throw the election in Fetterman's favor, you know, we keep the media and I think, you know, the, the political class keeps waiting to see that, see that happening. It hasn't happened yet. And I, I guess, you know, will this be the time that it happens? Um, you know, you look at elsewhere and, um, you know, you look at some other states and I, I don't want to diverge too far from PA, but like in Wisconsin, you know, Rob Johnson should, by all accounts, be losing. He's a turd, yeah. but he's yeah. winning and he's and he's projected to win. Uh, you know, 538 has his margin is bigger than Fetterman's margin in in PA right now. Uh, and then you look at some of these other states, you know, where the, the race in Nevada looks like that's likely to flip away. So I, 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 I would like to think that uh, the, the, the fine people of the Commonwealth would not vote for a carpet bagging, um, you know, semi nutty uh, TV doctor, but they might. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they voted for a, uh, you know, a TV entertainment failed businessman for president. So all bets are off at this point. True. We're in a new world. True. We're in a new world, man. So, so down south, we have a very interesting, another very interesting Senate race, and this is almost like, this is almost like, this is like heads versus tails. This mm -hmm. is like spy versus spy. These are two very diametrically opposed individuals. So you have the incumbent Democratic senator, Raphael Warnock, pastor, very upstanding, moral gentleman, served in this, you know, he won the special election, beating Kelly Leffler two years ago, and served in the Senate very well, is a, is a passionate speaker, um, you know, certainly a, very, a man of very high moral character, and then we have Herschel Walker. 
he of the, you know, he of the, the former New Jersey general, Minnesota Viking, Dallas Cowboy. Can't remember who else Herschel played for in his career, but I mentioned the New Jersey generals. He was signed out of Georgia by Donald Trump, who was then the owner of that USFL team and has had a 40 year love affair with Donald Trump ever since, you know, ever since then. I'm pretty probably pretty sure Herschel's still on the payroll for Trump somewhere. Um, and of course he's Trump endorsed. He was the, you know, he's he was he won the Republican nomination by a mile. But he's had lots and lots of problems. Uh, most notably these checks that he wrote for former girlfriends to have abortions. Uh, our man Herschel's got problems, yet it's still possible that he could win. Of course, then you also look at Georgia and you look at Stacey Abrams versus Brian Kemp. And Brian Kemp is polling ahead of Stacey Abrams by about five to seven points. I don't know enough about Georgia state politics, Steve, but I do know right and wrong. And what does it say about an electorate where... You know, you you have folks who supposedly are, you know, a more conservative state, you know, maybe people of faith. And there's a damn minister who's the U.S. senator. And instead, these fine Americans are going to go vote for a guy who underwrote abortions for his girlfriends. I got four words for you, Bill. They do not care. And I think that Dana Loesch, Lash, whoever that commentator is that is basically the NRA's mouthpiece, I think she said it. She said the quiet part out loud. It might have been the obvious part when she said, I don't care. We don't care. We want power. We want to run the show. And if this is the way we get there, fine. You know, and I think that we've, I, you and I follow this stuff, so it's been pretty obvious to us. Hopefully it's obvious to the rest of the world. And I'm just going to say it straight up. The Republican Party does not care about this country. They want power, period, hard stop. Because Herschel Walker, strip away all the drama, okay? Just just let's put that aside for a minute because there's a whole lot of it. We can have a whole show on it. He is eminently unqualified to be a United States senator. If you did a blind taste test and put Raphael Warnock's resume with no name, face, or anything or party affiliation, and Herschel Walker's, there's no way that any voter in their right mind would say, I take Herschel. I mean, I've been a hiring manager for most of my career. You've hired people. Have you ever said, and this is the thing that irritates me about debate coverage, when they say, well, Herschel had a good night because he didn't like, you know, totally screw up. You know, he, he had a low bar and he crossed it. Bill, have you ever had three candidates for a job and said, I'm going to hire the least qualified candidate that gave the worst <laughs> resume because they didn't suck as bad as I thought they were going to suck. That, that no. Is no. Thank you. That is today's Republican Party. I mean, yes, we had fun 10 years ago with the Christine O'Donnells and the Richard Murdoch and the Todd Akins and Sharon Angles. But unless I'm wrong, all of those people were at least – you know, state legislators or, or maybe maybe one or two might have been members of Congress. I mean, they had something on their resume that said they might be nuts. Their positions are wacky, but there's something there's a there there. What does Herschel? I mean, look, Herschel Walker has done two significant things in his life. He won a Heisman Trophy and he handed the Dallas Cowboys three Super Bowl titles because Jerry Jones was able to fleece the Minnesota Vikings on that trade back in 1991. Oh, where where Jura like got like you know 86 number one draft picks for a guy who I think ran for three yards for the Vikings or something. I don't know. That's a that that's that's it. And we can say the same thing about Oz. I mean, that is today's Republican Party where it doesn't matter to <laughs> if you're qualified or not. So that's what this race says about the Republican Party, about Mitch McConnell, about um, you know, several senators who went to campaign for Warnock, they just want to run the show. They don't have any idea what they're going to do once they get to, to running the show, but they just want to, they want to be in charge. And I think that is a sad state of affairs when there are not people that say, you know what, I love my party, 
but this person has no business sitting in the well of the United States Senate. And I, I'm going to stop there because I think I, having grown up around the U.S. Senate with family having worked to support the Senate, I have a love for the Senate that maybe, you know, tilts my opinion and, and my feelings for that institution. But that man has no business sitting in the well of the United States Senate making speeches of any of any sort. None. Zero. So, Zero. so you know I saw Hamilton last week in Baltimore. And you, did. you don't have to go any further than Hamilton to know that, you know, the part where Aaron Burr changes parties and gets elected to the Senate from New York, that political parties and their members don't care about principles. They care about power. They care about expediency. And mm -hmm. the same thing is true of Democrats versus, you know, I mean, look at how many, I mean, I've said before on this podcast, look at how many Democrats are we know are running to Liz Cheney. Oh, Liz Cheney's courageous. Oh, Liz, right. Liz Cheney's doing her job. I mean, to your yeah. point, you know, if, you know, I get up in the morning and I work my job for eight, nine hours a day or more, most likely, I don't have a whole bunch of people patting me <laughs> on the back, praising me, saying you're so courageous and humble and you're putting something bigger than you ahead of your own agenda, et cetera. No, because my agenda is to work to make money to pay my bills and maintain my lifestyle. And that's what Liz Cheney did. So we can't sit here and be these paragons of virtue and be members of a political party. The two simply are incongruous. So um, what is, of course, interesting, and by interesting, I mean horrifying, is the depths. I mean, because I do believe, and this is where I do see commonality, is that I don't think I've ever seen a time this bad. Yeah. There have been ham and egger, celebrity, goof candidates, to your point, in the past. But we've never seen such a preponderance of them uh, mm -hmm. as we do in the current time. And Herschel Walker is endemic of that. Uh, yeah. May he lose, and may he lose badly, um, but he might not. And yeah. and I think I, I think it's going to go badly for him because I see this doing nothing but spiraling. Plus, it doesn't seem like he has a team around him that's ready to fight back. First yeah. off, how are you going to hit a pastor on moral grounds unless if Raphael Warnock has just done something so god awful? You know, if he, you know, he choked an injured dog to death on the street corner, a la Frank Underwood in the first <laughs> episode of 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 uh, of uh, House of Cards. Yeah, yeah. And there's a film of it. Um, you know, how how are they going to find anything to to attack that man for? On I have no idea, especially given as early voting's already started there. And they have about, you know, we're we're about two weeks away, a little more than two weeks away from the election. I yeah. don't see how Walker wins, but I also don't see how Walker, Oz, J.D. Vance in Ohio, some of these other plebeians, you know, I don't see where this uh, string of celebrity candidates is going to stop. And um, God help us for it. Well, you're going to have more of them because you, you, you're right. It is a celebrity world that we live in. And um, I mean, even people who are non-athletes or, or TV personalities like your, your Marjorie Taylor Greens and your, your Lord. I mean, there, there are just a lot of unqualified, unserious people out there. And one thing I will say for the Democratic Party, we, we might nominate some people or put some people up whose views are a little far out there, who are maybe a bit more liberal or, or moderate, depending on your view. But I don't think that, I can't think of anybody that Democrats have sent, is certainly not on the national stage, that are just straight up unqualified for the job. I mean, there was a debate between Walker and Warnock, and Walker showed no sign that he's up to the job, that he's qualified for the job. Warner, I mean, he's he's the last week talking about police badges. Badge. 
Yeah, that's that's what he's been reduced to is doing interviews talking about a police badge and even how he addresses that is it, it's nuts. So, you, you know, that's one thing I will say. You're right. Democrats have thrown up their share of folks that we've both shaken our heads at, but not people who are just flat out dead bang. You are not qualified, period. Hard stop. Politics and ideology aside, you're just not qualified for this job. And, and that is Herschel Walker. He is absolutely, positively not qualified to be a United States senator. There, there is nothing, and it's not about football players because he sure ran for office and won and, and was legit, and Steve Largent and some others. He's not legit. <laughs> There's, right. He's got nothing. Right. Nothing. So let's Crazy. talk about, and, I'm, and, and we'll save the best for last, but mm -hmm. let's talk about, you know, we talked about, you talked about architects of the Republican Party. And, you know, people tend to forget <laughs> that one of the architects of the current Maryland Republican Party resides right here in little old Howard County. And in fact, while praising his father up and down for, you know, saying hello to black people in the 60s and all the other mediocre things that Bob Kittleman did, because Bob Kittleman was a mediocre farmer, a mediocre state legislature, frankly, a mediocre human being, um, his son is son of mediocre. And, you know, this, you know, and there seems to be a lot of revisionist history about the Alan Kittleman four years term as county executive, which was not very distinguished, which was marked by um, a whole lot of, you know, photo ops, um, a whole lot of sweeping problems under the rug, blaming the other guy. Um, why anybody thought that a moderately successful Republican state senator could become an effective chief executive of a couple billion dollar budget was beyond me. But yet, that's who people elected in 2014. And, you know, now he's portraying himself as the guy who can fix it. So in the past few weeks, we have now seen the Howard County executives race come to bear on local television. We've yeah. seen Larry Hogan do an ad for Alan Kittleman as being, you know, for Alan's staunch leadership in the two floods in Ellicott city. Um, forgetting to say that it was that quote-unquote staunch leadership during those two floods are part of the reason why Allen got voted out of office and that Allen is beyond politics. Um, not sure how he's beyond politics because he was a minority leader in the Maryland Senate when he was a senator. Um so that's pretty much with politics and how he stands up to people like Donald Trump. Never mind the fact that, you know, Alan Kittleman was very much a supporter of the McCain Palin ticket in 2008, of uh, Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan in 2012. In 25 years of being active in local politics, I never remember Alan Kittleman ever being against a Republican candidate for governor or a Republican candidate uh, nominee for president. So, you know, and Alan Kittleman, of course, started his political career as the head of the Republican Central Committee. So he's been, here's another Hamilton thing, in the room where it happens the whole damn time. He's been the insider's insider the whole damn time. And, you know, forget the proven independent leader moniker. He's jumping on Calvin Ball for being for his insider shenanigans. And my say, my response to that is pot, meat kettle. Meanwhile, on the other side, 
Calvin Ball is going the everything sunny in Howard County route. You know, the his first commercial has groups of Democratic activists doing <laughs> the Miller Lite thing, saying great schools, safe neighborhoods, great schools, safe neighborhoods. And then Calvin shows up in the middle and says, in Howard County, we have both. I mean, what's going on here, Steve? I mean, Bill, and, I, as I a wise you, man once said, what's causing all this? Bill, I got to ask you a question before I comment. Did you, I, I know I did it, but did you play the, how many of these citizens do I know and have seen at 58,000 events game? Because I'm like, yep, I know you. I know you. I know you. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I know exactly who I, I mean in both of them, it's all in their heads. I know who yeah. people are. And it's and like, it's why? Happened. Why are you doing this? And I guess this happens in other ads, and maybe just because we live in Howard and we know these people, but I'm just like, oh yeah, Mr. Ordinary Citizen. I, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ordinary Citizen, member of the Central Committee. Look, I see you, bro. Um, yeah, anyway. Um Okay, let me, a lot to unpack there, Bill. Um, first of all, as far as the ads, I, I've seen the Ball ad. I've seen the Kittleman ad. I've seen the John Sarbanes ad. The people behind all three of those ads need to call Katie Fry Hester's people. <laughs> because oh, thank Katie you. Oh, thank you. thank you for throwing both of those other ones in there, because that Sarbanes ad is god-awful. I swear to Jesus I'm going to run against John Sarbanes one day. He's so, he's so just nondescript, and he's... He's just like a blank sheet of sheetrock. But but yeah. Katie Fry Hester's ad rocks. Yeah. So if you want to know who won the ad wars, Katie Fry Hester. Thank you yes. very much. Yes. <laughs> Katie Fry Hester for governor in 26 or 2030. Please. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Please. Something. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah. This, I mean, Alan's ad is, is a, you know, I, quite frankly, it's almost Willie Horton lightish with the lady talking about how she's scared to send her kids to school. Uh, Calvin Ball looks like a bad talk show host, not even a talk show host, uh, not even a good one. Just, we could have both here. I mean, it was like we a chamber of The first episode yeah. of Homicide, is he Montel Williams? <laughs> we want Bill Donahue, but we got Montel Williams. Is he Montel Williams? Yeah. And, and mind you, I like both guys, but bo both of those ads were 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 just bad. And and you know Hogan touting the bipartisanship, but then an ad that is totally partisan because he's like, well, but he's like, you know, we're great when we're bipartisan, but okay, here's what's going on that's wrong with Howard County. So it, it it's just it's they're both bad. So anyway, as far as the race, you know, I, I've been disappointed with the Kittleman campaign because. Not only has it been a classic Republican campaign, it's been a classic, I'll call it Trump Cox Republican campaign, where it's been a lot of negative uh, rhetoric, fear mongering. Like you, you said it perfectly, it's a Howard County is going to the dogs and I hate to use these words, I alone can fix it. Um, it, it really has gone to that level with the campaign. You know, I Honestly, with some of the issues around the ball campaign and the ball administration, I think Kittleman 14 or even Kittleman 18 might have had a legit shot at this thing. But the 22 version is just so transparent where he's trying to have it both ways. You know, here's a guy who's raised a lot of big money, but now he's this paragon of virtue, taking money from the CEF, a piece of legislation, by the way, that he vetoed. Um, He's running as a classic Republican, trying to, quite frankly, use a little bit of the dog whistle stuff. But he recently has his thing at his farm. And who's there? Let's see, Governor Hogan, Lieutenant Governor Rutherford, former Lieutenant Governor and, and uh, uh, GOP Chair Michael Steele. Who's not there? The top of his own ticket in Maryland. Because even Alan Kittleman knows, I can't be seen next to... Um, Dan Cox or Jordana Schifarelli, I think I'm probably pronouncing her name right, or whoever that clown is running for attorney general. Um, I can't be seen with them. They might have been there, and they just made sure that they were not in the photos uh, that I saw. So it's this whole, I want to have it both ways 
nonsense. You know, at least at least Dan Cox is leaning into who he is. You know, he is a a far right Trump flag waving kind of guy, and he's either going to win or lose that way. He's going to lose, but I can at least appreciate the fact that he's being honest about who he is and what we'd be getting. Whereas Kilman, I don't know who advised him or if he himself decided this was the campaign he was going to run. But if this is the last chapter of what has been a, a solid, maybe not spectacular career, but certainly you could point to some things in Alan Kilman's career where you said, oh, yeah, he's, he has served the, at least his section of the county. He has served them well over a number of years. If this is the last chapter, it's an awfully sad one. It, it, it really and, is. You know, I saw your face as I was talking before, and and you were kind of like, "Damn, Bill." I mean, I, I I like Al. I've liked Alan Kittleman as a human being before. I mean, yeah, and I, a part of me still does. And mm -hmm. he and I have had some terrific conversations. Um, but he's he's a punk in this this campaign, and if this yeah. is how he let himself. Be, and if this is who he really is, then he's a punk. Uh, for all the reasons you just mentioned, uh, you know, again, another Hamilton line, uh, Mr. And I'll transpose names. Mr. Ball may have positions with which I profoundly disagree, but at least he has them, while Mr. Kittleman has none. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly where we are. You know, and that gets yeah. back to all the talk about my dad, my dad, my dad, my dad. I mean, there are enough progressives and looking at some of you there in the UU congregation in Columbia who seem to lionize Alan, Bob Kittleman because Bob Kittleman was a UU, I guess, and because he did things with, with uh, African-Americans. And there are even notable African-American politicians in Howard County who talk about Bob Kittleman's uh, record as head of the local NAACP. Well, okay, I can't deny the fact that Bob Kittleman did those things, but I can deny the fact that Bob Kittleman did a damn bit of good. He didn't. He's a failure. You know, and, and every step of the way in the legislature, all that man did for 20 years was vote and work against progress. So while he held a title, he also actively worked against the things that you that that you care about. And when I say you people care about, I mean all progressives. All progressives. So, you know, you can't have it both ways. And you know, it's not Bob Kittleman who's running. Bob Kittleman died over I think 14 years ago. It's yeah. his son who's running. Time, yeah. And his son, while he says good things about LGBTQ people, while he says good things about bringing people together, he's been a flop in actually making it happen. And, and Calvin Ball has not had a wildly successful first four years. But... The opposing side produces absolutely no compelling argument to your point that their mm -hmm. turn in the their their turn would be any better over right. the next four. And that's a shame. That is an absolute shame. And you're right. It's a crappy way to go out. Um, but you know what? You can't deny who you are. You can't deny what you are. And I think maybe that things are finally catching up to Alan Kittleman, you know, who he is and what he created. He created the Dan Cox. He created Gordana Schifarelli. He created Michael Peruca by not standing up for the rise of cultural conservatism. I mean, as a Republican activist, as a Republican elected official, he rode those people into office time and time and time again. And now they're taking power. And now he says, oh, no, I, I'm, I, I ain't part of that. You can't separate from it. So Alan Kittleman phony. The only people phonier are these, are these so-called progressives who are supporting him because of, you know, Ball's problems. Um, you know, how do people say that they're running for the Democratic Central Committee and then they support a guy like Kittleman? 
Uh, I have no idea, but you know, to each their own. I'm done on this. Just yeah, that's a whole other. Yeah, the whole progressive uh, thing. That's a whole other one. I got a tweet from from uh, a pretty notable one about a a, a pretty innocent tweet, and it, and it was all about, well, you know, what about you know, maybe Kittleman has this message on this one issue. I'm like, so that one issue is so important to you that nothing else matters. But I didn't no, even respond. But, but you're right. Reality, you know, you know, and just, any any talk of Alan Kittleman's is just that talk, talk. Uh, what what did he do? What has he done? What will he do? And the answer there is nothing. You know, it's time right. to time to take that horse out back and shoot it. You know, bye Alan, bye Robin. Go off into retirement. Go back to the farm. You know, uh, talk about what used to be. Have fun. Yeah. Well, I think it's a bigger thing with the Re Republican Party. My last point is Republicans and and. Why voters who are not on one side or the other, maybe there aren't that many of them out there, don't get. Republicans are very good at campaigning based on what they're not. They are they suck at at articulating a vision in terms of who they are and where they want to go. And Kittleman is a microcosm of that because I still maintain that in 2014 he won because he was not Courtney Watson. And sure. enough people were turned off by Watson that he got by. In 2018, Calvin Ball, for all that we've said about his past four years, came in with a vision for where do we go from here, and people bought into it. And now Kittleman is trying the what I'm not, and people are like, no, you got to give me more than that. And he, like a typical Republican these days, ain't got it. That's local, that's state, that is national. We talked about the Senate races. That is, that is the Republican brand. We can tell you what did what did Andy Shepard say, an American president? We're good at two. Th they're good at two things: tell you what's wrong with your life and tell you who's blamed for it. But they suck at what we what can we do about it? They right. haven't been that. They haven't been good at that since Reagan, and I don't know how good Reagan was at it. But they've not been good for forty years at saying, "Here's what we're going to do about it." The only thing they can do is, "Here's the problem, and, he and it's their fault." And that's the Kilman campaign in a nutshell. It's the Republican brand today. Yeah. Now, Steve, we only got a few more minutes left, but I we I do want to hit upon one more topic because while we're talking about architects of the Republican brand, I by no means wish this outcome for Alan Kittleman. He hasn't done anything to deserve it that I know of, but uh, Steve Bannon is going to jail for contempt of Congress. He was sentenced to four months in jail the other day, fined sixty five hundred dollars. Now, in reality. It's been a long, long time since anybody has gone to jail for contempt of Congress. So will we see Mr. Bannon's uh, uh, gin-soaked face uh, and, his, and his always snappy repertoire of two or three button-down shirts over each other with three black pens tucked between the buttons of the top shirt? Uh, will we see that yet on the streets of Washington, D.C. and and uh, Paducah, Iowa, or Paducah, Kansas, wherever the hell Paducah is, uh, for years to come? Or or will we see him wearing the orange jumpsuit and you know, dropping I, soap? <laughs> the perp walk, baby, the perp walk. You know, I, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I mean, he he's going to appeal. He's still out on the streets while we are pending the appeal. But uh, what I would say is, I know a lot of people are going to say, um, well, he only got four months. He got a small fine. He's going to, even if he ends up going to prison, he's going to do his time. He's going to come out and make even more money, you know, talking smack on a podcast or whatever it is uh, he, he does. It's about doing the right thing no matter what. It's It's about doing... The, the, the law has to be the law. And and contempt has a very light sentence. It is what it, you don't go away for 20 years for a um, you know contempt charge or you know refusing to, to acknowledge a subpoena or whatever it was. Um, you just don't. You go away for a few months, you pay a fine. But that needed to happen. The, the message needed to be sent. Just like I think Jan 6 committee did the right thing by throwing a subpoena at Trump. You can't spend a year and a half saying it's his fault and not try to get the guy in. And when he says no, which he said no, you don't go after him. And the DOJ should go after Trump and indict him. 
These things should happen. And I know a lot of people are going to say, well, you're going to waste a lot of money and nothing's ever going to happen to the guy because he's transparent. He's Teflon Don. I, I, that's irrelevant. It, these things have to happen if we're going to have laws in this country. When people blatantly violate them, you, you got to do what you got to do. So that's Molly's statement is how this turns out. I don't know. I mean, he's going to appeal the hell out of it. Um, you know, I, I, you can't say the Supreme Court will let him off the hook because you know, the, the judiciary has not been kind to Trump world lately. I mean, the only person that's, I mean, Amy Cody Barrett just threw out a uh, suit on the student loan forgiveness. Clarence Thomas, I think, threw out the one where, where Trump and the Mar-a-Lago doctors, they were trying to do some things there. You know, the only judge that seems to be down with Trump world is that, you know, 32-year-old down in Florida. And I, I'm starting to think Trump has her in a porno film or something. I don't know. Oh my He's got God. something on her. He's got cannon on something, but that seems to be the only judge that is like ruled in his favor in like two years. So, you know, I, I, uh, again, it needed to happen. The process needs to go through and we'll see how it goes from, we'll see where it ends up. Yeah. My, my prediction is that Bannon serves absolutely zero days in jail in actuality. And oh yes, these Trump judges are very happy to be able to apply conservative uh, legal principles in many other cases. But, you know, Steve, there's a very good reason why they're not doing Trump's bidding for them, because Trump's asking them to do things that are illegal. And, and, and so and so there is that. Um, you know, so, um, you know, that is a thing that happens. And as to the 32-year-old in, in Florida... Um, I'm going to walk back that comment you made a little bit, but, but, but I am going to say that it, it's fairly clear that a 32-year-old judge who would be no more than, what, five years out of uh, law school uh, yes, would yeah. not exactly uh, be a qualified jurist, to your point about qualifications to serve in office, much less the federal bench. Yeah. Yep. So absolutely. But that that but there are and, and sadly though, there are in terms of qualifications, there are there are a number of those that are out there. They have lifetime appointments. And thanks to Trump, we're gonna we may be hearing from several of them for a long, long time. Hopefully, if if nothing else to your point, uh they at least won't do things illegal. Like like you said, you know, the Supreme Court seems to at least have something remotely resembling a line. Um, you hope that there are more of those folks out there than there are the uh, Judge Cannons. Of course, I mentioned Coney Barrett. The difference is, you know, Cannons in her early 30s. Coney Barrett is at least in her late 40s and, and I think maybe knows her way around a uh, law library. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, would so. I would so, say so. I would say so. But well, it is what it is. Well, Steve, and with that, we come to the end of another exciting podcast production. Um, any last words or final reflections or anything you want to mention quickly that we haven't even talked about? Well, Bill, I, I will. I don't know how you're, you, if you have a subject matter for your next Ravens podcast, as I'm wearing my, my Ravens gear, but you got to do something on the state of wide receivers in Baltimore and why the Ravens keep, you know, uh, there, there, there are guys out there looking to be traded. You know, the, the Cardinals, you know, uh, I think um, Hollywood Brown's going to be out for a few weeks. They get um, DeAndre Hopkins back. You know, they trade for Robbie Anderson. What do the Ravens do? They signed Deshaun Jackson. Uh, you, you know, I mean, it's just killing me. It's like, guys, there are people out there. DJ Moore, make a deal for DJ Moore. He's out there ready. He wants to be out of Carolina. Elijah Moore wants to be out of New York. And you signed Deshaun. I, I know you love your draft picks, DaCosta, but you got to get up off of some of them. <laughs> I I, on, I don't I don't understand. And then apparently Rashad Bateman's pissed off about the Deshaun Jackson signing. You know, we signed uh, the guy Demarcus Robinson off. Um, you know, or at the beginning of the of the season. I mean, when do we bring Des Bryant back? I mean, when <laughs> you know, for that matter. You mentioned a name, you know, what's Steve Largent up to? I mean, he's probably <laughs> about 70, but, you know, why, why not see if he's still got gas in the tank? You know, uh, Wes Welker, 
You know, where's he at? He's only been retired for four or five years. He would be better than Michael Campanaro ever was in the slot for us. So are I we mean, on a, are we on a TO know, watch? What's that? Are we on a TO watch now? I, I hope not. I hope not. But I, I, you know, I actually thought that he would have come to Baltimore. But, you know, he actually wound up being the smarter person there. Because he was like, I ain't playing for Kyle Bowler. And he was right. So, you know, we have yet to find our groove this season. But then again, the entire NFL has yet to find its groove. There's a lot of three, four, and two win teams. And, you know, I think there's only really, um, you know, uh, who the Eagles and the Bills are, are riding high above everybody else. You know, you could make a case to put Kansas City in there. But other than that, everybody is absolutely average, which is Roger Godell's NFL. They'll keep it interesting through week 17. Yeah, even if we have to watch uh, god-awful uh, Amazon Prime games. Although last Thursday's wasn't bad. Um, last Thursday's wasn't bad, but on the, on one of the serious uh, channels, that I, well, the NFL channel that I listened to, uh, the afternoon drive show is quite good with a former uh, Jets GM, Pat Kerwin, and hmm. and a former uh, quarterback named Jim Miller. And Kerwin's take is that the practice schedule and the way the offseason works now in the NFL, it's hard for line play to get cohesion, hmm. uh, which then winds up leading to this wide open form of football where not just do you have a lot of passing, you know, it favors the passing uh, – uh, um, offenses, but yet also the RPO based offenses, uh, like the Ravens, you know, so something like the 2018, 2019 Ravens, you know, with the, you know, a lot of ground and pound, you know, mixed with RPO, that's going to be harder to replicate simply because with the new practice rules, lines are together for less time. And then you mm-hmm. add to that injuries and that even hurts it more. So, you know, when you look at a team like the Ravens and how come we're not as proficient running the ball? um, Yeah, it's 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 not all because of the talent of the players. It's not all because Marshall Yonda retired, Uh, you know, and Ronnie Stanley's been hurt. It's been because these these players have been around for less time. I think longer term, the answer is going to be more athletic lines. Um, you know, to, uh, you know, more trapping, more pulling more, you know, plays where everybody slant blocks and then an entire play goes student body left or right. And then, you know, you run misdirection and various looks off of that. Uh, Hmm. but, uh, but yes, a big issue for another podcast and another milieu, but as, but as, as for our, our humble, uh, effort i believe we are completed today and so we we will be here next week we may or may not have a guest we're gonna try um but for steve my name is bill you have been watching or listening to another edition of forward maryland have a great day everybody take care